This is FM 100.5, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Good morning to you. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS. We're going to have some fun today and learn something that will benefit you. And we encourage you to join us with your questions. It'll benefit you even more that way. Local attorney Laura Baker is with us from the law office of John Day. Well, girl, good morning, Laura. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing fine. Good to have you with us on this beautiful fall morning. It is. It is so beautiful out yeah. right now. Leaves are starting to change colors and just seems to have happened almost overnight. Yes, and I'm happy for the change. Oh, yes. Uh, this may be a good weekend to take a short jaunt somewhere and, and look at the beautiful leaves of fall, I tell you great weather out there absolutely we're going to be talking today about uh, how our personal injury settlements calculated and so let's let's start with a good definition of personal injury i know that sounds like everybody should know what that is but uh, legally it might be a different story what is a personal injury uh, according to the law books i think that's a great place to start as lawyers we always look to the definitions first um and so when we talk about personal injury we're really talking about any kind of case where you are injured and another person is responsible because of negligence um, or sometimes from intentional acts for causing that harm and they can be held responsible under the law for money damages for the harm that they've caused. Um, so we're not talking about criminal cases. Um, we're only talking about cases that happen in civil court where you're not trying to lock someone up or hold them responsible for a crime, but instead trying to seek compensation for the damages that have been caused because of another person's negligence. Does the fickle finger of fate ever enter into this? I mean, <laughs> does, does some of these accidents just happen? Well, under the law, there is a, a doctrine called the unavoidable accident. So there are certain ways that accidents can just happen. And even despite best efforts by everyone, nobody is nobody was negligent or did anything that was unreasonable for the harm to be caused. Um, but those those times are pretty rare. We're human. We all make mistakes. And, and that's why the law allows for claims to be brought in court to recover compensation for damages. And that's why there's an insurance industry in this world too, because we all know that we need to protect ourselves um, for the harm that we cause and have insurance to pay for losses to other people that we, you know, through negligence and through an accident caused to other people. Now, obviously we hear so much in the news about people who are involved in accidents, but the person who caused the accident or is being accused of causing it, they don't have insurance. And so 
What do you do on situations like that? Do you have any recourse? Well, it, it really depends on the person who caused the harm. Um, you, you have recourse. You can always bring a lawsuit against the person who caused harm, whether they have insurance or not. Um, the bigger question at the end of the day will be, is there, does that person have financial resources or are they going to have financial resources at some point in the future from which you can collect on a judgment that you get against them? So, you know, say you're injured in an accident, you're hurt by someone, they don't have insurance, but they're responsible, a jury holds them responsible, they give or award a judgment for damages, um, then the next you'll have a piece of paper, basically, we call it a piece of paper that gives you a right to get X number of dollars from that person. Um, and then the the next part of that case would be to go try to collect it from that person. Um, and you can do that over time. You know, you can garnish wages or wait for them to win the lottery or um, come into some money one way or another or earn money. Um, but by and large, the, the vast majority of cases um, when a lawyer is, is helping you is because there is some identifiable source of either insurance or the person who caused the harm has the financial resources to pay for those losses or at least part of those losses. Okay. Is there a certain period of time that you have to put together your accusations uh, in a lawsuit? Every case is different, so I can't tell you that there is a bright line rule on that deadline. But when we talk about personal injury cases um, in Tennessee and talk about things like car accidents or trip and falls and slip and falls because of a, a property owner or business owner's negligence and not um, taking care of an identifiable hazard, um, the general rule is that you have one year, um, one year to file your case in court. Um, a case can be resolved before that one year. And even after you file the case in court, there's typically going to be some effort among the parties to reach a resolution before we take it to a jury. Um, but generally speaking, one year. There are so, exceptions to that rule, of course. Some some types of plaintiffs get more time. Um, generally speaking, there's not less time than that. So all the parties prefer to do it without going before a jury? A lot of times. Um, there's been a huge movement over my 16 years of practice um, towards what we call alternative dispute resolution. Um, the, the legal term for engaging in alternative dispute resolution in a personal injury case is a mediation where the parties get together with the help of a third party mediator who is usually a lawyer um, and help the parties to try to resolve their differences by agreement through a settlement. Um, so that's that tends to be the preference. But there's there are times when a case has to go to court, either because one party is simply not uh, willing to take responsibility um, or because the parties can't agree on what the amount should be. Um, and of course, there are also times where um, both parties may bear some fault and we need a jury to decide who bears what portion of the fault for a particular incident or injury. Let's say that a group of people uh, decide, well, let's, let's bring this before 
an arbitrator or some type of mediator, and they all agree to do that. They go down that road, and for some reason or another, they just don't like the outcome. It's not what they thought it would be. They don't get the uh, amount of money that they feel that they should have gotten. Can they say, I don't accept that. I've changed my mind. I want a trial by jury. So let me make one distinction. Firstly, that arbitration and mediation are two different things. Um, Arbitration can be non-binding, but many times an arbitration is a binding resolution outside of court where you have an arbitrator that sort of acts like the judge and makes the decision, and there can be procedures for appealing arbitrations. So if you go that route, it's period. It's going to happen. Yes. Depending on on why it's being arbitrated, if there's an arbitration agreement and um, and we could probably have a whole program on arbitration, but let's go back to mediation because that's what okay. we see more often in personal injury cases. That is, it can sometimes be court ordered, but the mediator is not making the decision about how much one party has to pay or another party has to accept to resolve the dispute. The mediator is a neutral. They are just acting as a facilitator um, and a good mediator helps the parties to understand both the strengths and weaknesses of their positions. Um, And that typically results in all the parties coming together and agreeing on an amount. But unless it's a binding mediation, which most of the time mediation is not binding, it is just a voluntary process that everybody goes through to try to resolve the dispute out of court. So let's talk about non-binding mediation means at the end of the day, if the party who is responsible for the harm does not offer to pay as much money as the party who suffered the harm is willing to accept, then it's over. There's no, there is no settlement. The case proceeds and continues to go through to court. And importantly, nothing that occurs in the mediation is admissible in the trial later. So the jury will never know that defendant Jones was willing to pay plaintiff Baker (laughs) um, $100,000. They will never know that there was insurance that was willing to cover that $100,000 loss. The jury will look at it cold without any information about what either party was willing to pay or willing to accept. And the mediator themselves can't be called as a witness at that trial to say anything about what one party or the other said about their case or conceded about bad facts or, or anything like that. And the, the reason for that really is that it helps everybody to have a good, full, fruitful conversation and really ends up, I think, in the large majority of cases leading to the parties being able to work it out without having to go and have a jury trial. So that when that happens, it usually is faster. Is that one of the benefits of it? Well, it definitely can get you a faster resolution than a trial because for a trial, we have to get on the court schedule and and find a time where we're lined up behind other cases um, that we can get a jury to come and decide the case. So anytime you resolve a case by settlement, um, most of the time that's going to give you a quicker resolution than going to court. Although I can tell you that some cases are settled on the courthouse steps. Some cases are settled while the jury's deliberating. Now, um, are these types of cases uh, limited to certain areas or, or can it be 
virtually anything uh, from uh, a marital dispute over children to uh, a car accident to whatever. Yeah, family law or or um, disputes over child custody visitation that sort of thing those all can go before a mediator as well. Um, and and typically the parties agree on who the mediator is going to be. And so that makes everybody also feel more comfortable in that process. But as far as personal injury cases, um, uh, there are some courts in Tennessee, um, in Middle Tennessee, that want the parties to mediate before they'll even give a trial date because it has proven to be an effective way of resolving disputes. Um, and, and then there are other courts that encourage it, but understand that if one party is simply never going to offer any money, it can be a waste of time as well. Okay. By the way, I want to mention this. If you have uh, your two cents that you want to share, or if you have a question dealing with our topic this morning, you can phone us, or if you want to remain anonymous, you can do that and text us. 615-618-1450, and that is good for both ways, talking or texting. 615-618-1450, we only ask that if you're driving, don't text. Pull over to the side, otherwise uh, you may be needing some of the services <laughs> we're talking about. 615-618-1450, and uh, are, are these uh, approaches uh, through... Uh, arbitrators, mediators, but uh, uh, arbitrator is is decided by the judge. Is that right? Right. Well, the arbitrator who who conducts the arbitration does act more as a judge. So they make decisions about what evidence can be admitted. They hear testimony. They see physical evidence the same way that a judge or a jury would hear at trial, and then they ultimately give a decision. Um, about which party wins and how much money, if any, is going to be awarded. Who determines which direction you go, arbitrator or mediator? Oftentimes that is going to be determined by whether or not there is some sort of arbitration agreement. And again, talking strictly about personal injury cases, that's going to be the the times that a case would go before an arbitration or into an arbitration would be because of an arbitration agreement. There are other types of cases that um, aren't personal injury cases where arbitration might be required for some other legal, you know, procedural reason. Um, but in personal injury cases, you would see that more often than not with your your own auto insurance carrier um, with your what's called uninsured motorist coverage. Um, there is a procedure where if you have reached an agreement with the person who's responsible under their insurance policy, but there is more coverage on your own because the other driver is underinsured, um, there's a procedure where the uninsured motorist carrier or auto carrier and the plaintiff can agree to do an arbitration. We have a question here from a listener and they're saying in some of the things that uh, they are getting information on there are groups that say we're licensed under New Jersey law or under Las Vegas law or whatever it might be is is that important to does that enter into the proceeding? Um, 
license to practice law in, I'm in not those sure. states. I'm not sure what. <laughs> um, I would say that in order to practice law in the state of Tennessee and go into court and represent a party, you have to be a licensed Tennessee lawyer or there is a process where an out-of-state lawyer can be admitted to practice here for a specific case, but they have to be basically sponsored, for lack of a better word, by a Tennessee lawyer. Okay. Now, what if the person is meaning that the uh, lawsuit is being brought by a corporation that is chartered under a different state's, uh, you know, system? So uh, it, the law about where a case can be brought can be very complicated, but if an injury or accident occurred here in the state of Tennessee, even if the corporation that's responsible for that injury is out of state, um, there oftentimes you're still going to be able to bring that lawsuit where the injury occurred or where the negligence occurred. We're going to be looking more closely at some of these areas because they definitely impact us. Sometimes when you least expect it, they come up and bite you. And, and when should you start gathering evidence? Because it's that evidence that your attorney and the courts will need. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Our guest this morning from the law firm of John Day is attorney Laura Baker. Stay with us. News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the places I love to eat out the most and still be able to do so and maintain a healthy weight is at Demas's. You can get those options on the menu online at www.demasrestaurants.com. You can make the decisions that you want to make before you come in. We have options ranging from grilled chicken to fish. You can get it with a side of green beans or spinach or even zucchini. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner at Demas's. Come by our store, Music World and Drummer's Den. We're a full-line music instrument store with well over 5,000 square feet packed with great instruments in every category. In guitars, we're your local dealer for the two top acoustic guitar brands in the world, Martin and Taylor. We've got the best selection and prices anywhere in the state of Tennessee on these. This is Dave Kivanemi at Music World and Drummer's Den in Murfreesboro, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Let's learn about Adams Place, the area's premier senior living center. We're talking with Terry Deal. We do have the medical staff on campus. While they are not housed in the independent living community, they're right next door. So in the event of an emergency, in addition to calling 911, we have access to be able to bring a nurse over to provide instant assistance. What if you want to have friends over who don't live here to play cards, to eat dinner, or what have you? What I like to tell people is that when you move to Adams Place, you really are not changing your lifestyle. You're changing your address. And if your lifestyle still includes friends coming over to play cards or to have a social event with you or family coming over to spend the afternoon or spend the night, that is what you need to continue doing. Socialization is important for everyone. Adams Place has a full calendar of events uh, in each of our different levels of care. 
they need to just give us a call and let the staff direct them to whichever part of campus they're interested in. Just call our main phone number and the receptionist will get you in contact with whichever of us needs to address your needs. This is Terry Deal. Would like to invite you to come visit with us at Adams Place. Just give us a call, 615-904-9111. We'd love to show you around our beautiful community. Good morning. Still pretty heavy on 24, leaving Murfreesboro, uh, Rutherford County, headed towards Nashville on 24 westbound. Lots of radar out here, that's for sure, this morning up and down. I-24 coming in from Coffee County. Just watch yourself. Hey, Ober Gatlinburg Restaurant and Lounge celebrating Oktoberfest. Don't miss it this year. Check it out first online at obergatlinburg.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Mostly sunny skies here for this afternoon with a high in the low 70s. Northwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour, gusting as high as 20. Tonight, mostly clear, low 42. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Vujitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 58. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. We're loud, we're proud, we're blue. WGNS AM and FM, your home for the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. Welcome back. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. That's it, 615-893-1450. Happy birthday to Terrica Bryson. Terrica is the winner of that delicious banana pudding from the Slick Pig Barbecue, Terrica Bryson. And our good neighbor today is Teresa McCarthy. Teresa McCarthy gets the beautiful flowers from Ryan's Flowers Coffee and Gifts. Again, the phone number this morning if you want to join us in conversation, 615-893-1450. And on that same line, you can also text your messages or questions 615-893-1450. Local attorney Laura Baker is our guest, and she's with the law offices of John Day. We're talking today about how our personal injury settlements calculated. And let's go back to when the event began. And Laura, tell us, uh, I know we've covered this on previous programs, but I don't think we could ever cover it enough, and that is when do you start gathering information, evidence, I guess you could say, or that may be a little too strict of a word. <laughs> well, <laughs> you like never know what's going to be evidence until um, until you get really into the case. So um, I guess everything's potentially evidence until it's not. Um, I think that the evidence starts the moment the incident occurs, um, whether there's for a slip and fall or a trip and fall, is there video? Um, and in fact, that can happen even before a slip and fall or a trip and fall occurs because say it's um, some hazard on the floor in a restaurant, knowing how it got there and when it got there can be important to the case. And so if there's surveillance video that goes back to earlier in the day, so you can identify whether it was an employee at the restaurant who created the hazard or whether it had been there for 45 minutes and 
five employees had walked by and done nothing about it, that can be evidence in the case. Um, at a car wreck, there are things um, at the scene itself that can be evidence. Firstly, just the condition of the vehicles, um, people, people's visible injuries or um, or cries um, for out of pain. Those things can be evidence. Skid marks on the road, gouge marks in the road. Um, witnesses who observe the traffic lights leading up to an intersection collision, those witnesses have evidence. Um, the statements of either person involved in the wreck can be evidence. Any statement by a party in a lawsuit is typically admissible as evidence in a case. Um, whereas if you told me your opinion about a, a car wreck that that you saw, I probably couldn't repeat that in court because you're not a party. Um, the the person themselves saying what happened in the wreck to say the police officer or a first responder, that can be evidence because they're a party in the case. Um, the vehicle itself often, with most newer vehicles, you have in your vehicle um, what is, I, I call it a black box but it's not exactly like a black box in an airplane but we have data recorders in our vehicles that are tied to our airbag systems and that can give evidence about how fast a vehicle was going in the seconds before a collision whether the driver was applying pressure to the brake or the accelerator whether they made an evasive maneuver with their steering wheel um, all of that data can be evidence now is every case, do you need to go pay an engineer to download and interpret that data? No, it depends on the degree of harm um, because every expert that you hire in a case does cost money. So not every case is gonna be one where you go pull the black box out of the vehicles to piece together what happened. So even though you have the black box, do all cars have these, by the way? Not every car. It really depends on the make, model, and more importantly, the year that it was manufactured. I think they're far more common now than they were, but honestly, I've, like I said, been practicing personal injury law for more than 16 years now, and, and I've known about black box da data that long. So, um, so even some older model vehicles do have that kind of data. What about some of these new devices that police departments have that I think they work on uh, infrared or heat sensors and things of that sort and whether it's daytime or nighttime they can take them out to the accident scene and it does a 360 degree scan. Yeah the I think it's called a ferro scanner yes that can that can be evidence as well because it's picking up data about the scene and the the instruments or vehicles involved in in that collision so that can certainly also be evidence in a case. Um, so so your question your original question was when does the evidence start to be gathered um, it starts to be created immediately if not before an accident happens and then in terms of gathering it it really depends on um, who is available to start gathering the information of course the police and first responders are some of the first folks that are out there and start to put that together oftentimes you said the police take out scanners um, and they also sometimes take photographs. People make 911 calls 
those calls are recorded. Um, so that evidence is out there. And in terms of gathering it, it's going to be either the injured party or legal representation that they hire to gather that evidence. Insurance companies will start gathering evidence as soon as they are aware of a claim. Oftentimes, insurance companies send a lawyer to the scene to How do they start collecting <laughs> evidence for their insured. Not yeah. a lawyer like me, a lawyer who would be defending the case. Um, well, they know it as soon as the the person who they insured in, advises them that a wreck has happened. But a scene would be long cleared by then, wouldn't it? Uh, it depends. If you're talking about a commercial vehicle, oftentimes they know that before the scene ah, is okay. um, is cleared. So commercial is a whole different thing. It can be, yep. Okay. Uh, so it's never too soon to start collecting evidence, and, and we all have a little device that we keep in our pockets called <laughs> a cell phone. And I guess that's a good a good tool. It, it's a new tool, I can tell you that. Um, I think lots of people would have different opinions on whether it's good, bad, or other. Um, no, it can, your cell phone itself and, and the other party's cell phone can provide a lot of evidence. We often subpoena people's cell phone records or ask them to produce information from their cell phones in a legal case. Um, because we all know that you're not supposed to be talking on your cell phone um, with it in your hand. And I think you can you can talk on your cell phone if it's through your um, your car where it's hands-free. Um, but texting and driving is against the law in Tennessee. Um, so that is a whole world of evidence. Um, we as a society feel the need to share about our lives on social media. Um, so somebody's posts after a wreck can be evidence about the injuries or about what happened in the wreck. I know that we've had social media posts where we see, you know, a defendant put up photographs of a bad wreck and and sort of make light of the wreck that they caused that can certainly be considered evidence in the case um and then in with your phone itself you can get super complicated and um and potentially get evidence about a person's movements um, I have not had this come up in a case yet, but I know that a lot of people use fitness trackers and activity trackers, apps that are on their phone or on their Apple Watch um, that I could imagine that could be used potentially as evidence one way or another to show that you're more active or less active than you were pre or post rec. Um, so really, when you think about the phone, <laughs> and and really your instant, we all have a camera on us at mm -hmm, all times, right. right? So we've seen video and um, and photographs from cell phones in big cases in the news that make a big difference in cases. So you also have a way to to capture evidence with your phone being in your pocket. I was thinking also sometimes you move your cars. Uh, just to, you think, well, I'm causing a traffic problem. We're going to create another wreck. I better move my car. And sometimes that really changes the picture of, uh, even if it's done, especially if it's done before the police arrive. That's true. And, and there's good reason to move cars sometimes. Um, and, and that can present a problem, though, down the road if you don't have anybody to... 
um, other than the two parties who each have an interest in the case to say what the scene looked like, um, then that can be a challenge. But there are often cameras at businesses that are nearby that can pick up what happened in a wreck. So that's another piece of evidence that um, might need to be collected. And your timeline for collecting that type of evidence is often a ticking timeline because uh, most surveillance systems for businesses have a process where they record over themselves. Um, and that the length of time that video can be saved and captured and preserved um, can vary depending on the business and the system. So some businesses, their video records over itself within 24 hours. Some hmm. is seven days. Some is 30 days. Um, so but there's I, a timeline on when you can collect evidence? A timeline that you don't even know what the timeline is um, in, in terms of surveillance video from surrounding businesses. Right. But I know that we've had many cases where the police go and look for that video evidence. Maybe one or the other party is incapacitated at the scene. So they go look for that independent evidence. And so they might save it or capture it. And that's something that you can later get from the police department. Now, traffic cams, uh, we have a few of those in town. We don't have the red light cameras any longer. But uh, the traffic cams, do, are those usable in court? It depends on the, the camera. Some of them don't record. Um, for example, the TDOT cameras that are on the interstate, um, you can go look at them online and see how the interstate's moving. Um, as far as I know, those still don't record. You could you know, call a friend and say, go take a snapshot right now on mm -hmm. on the internet because it's not going to be recorded. Um, but then in terms of local government cameras, some of them um, have recordings and some of them don't. So these are things that you need to be aware of, but start collecting evidence the minute the situation begins, whether it's an accident or a fall in a grocery store or a restaurant or wherever. Yeah, I mean, knowing who the witnesses are and their phone numbers can also be helpful information to have. Um, and really also, I mentioned with the black box, you don't download that data in every case because harms range, right? Some people may have a sore neck for two weeks. And at that point, you don't want to spend thousands of dollars to have an expert recreate the accident. Um, so maybe that evidence isn't something that's going to be important to collect. Um, so having a legal advisor to help you figure out what is, what is necessary to be collecting and spending money to collect. I mean, even collecting information from the police department, there's charges to get that, that information. So having a legal advisor to help you figure out what might be important and also to help you if you're recovering from an injury you deal with your injury let your legal advisor deal with collecting the evidence here's an interesting uh, comment from a listener they say that they have a, a young child who was in a grocery store with them and a stack of cans fell over and fell onto the child uh, didn't cause a lot of injury but caused a lot of trauma and fright uh, they've since found that the stacks of cans didn't fall by accident. It was not done by a problem in the store, but another customer knocked them on the other side and caused them to fall. 
what could they do at that point? It doesn't look like they had any uh, camera pictures of it or, or anything of that sort. Right. And um, for them to have learned that it was another customer, it, it actually makes me wonder whether there was some camera footage. Um, you know, good point. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, in terms of, of evidence, camera footage in that situation would be important. And then I think the the question to me is what can they do against for the negligence of that being um, hoisted upon their child? Um, is there an action against the other customer? Maybe. Um, is there an action against the store? Maybe. Uh, maybe well, the cans. Maybe the cans were. Maybe it shouldn't have been stacked that way. Maybe that created the the opportunity for someone to inadvertently knock the cans over onto a small child. Um, so I think that that's the type of case where you might want to consult a lawyer and talk through it, and they can give you advice on what the law is and. Um, and also the cost-benefit analysis, depending on the injuries and damages of how much money will it cost to get the evidence and to put the case together, what are your risks, and what is the potential um, compensation that you could get from it. Now, you mentioned the importance of talking with a lawyer beforehand to determine whether or not you actually need an attorney. Uh, is there a charge for that, or is it different with every law firm? It's different with every law firm, but generally speaking, when you're talking about a personal injury case, so uh, we define that at the very beginning, but a case against someone who caused harm in, in civil court for money damages, most lawyers who do that kind of, of work, including our law firm, we charge what's called a contingency fee. So we charge a percentage of the ultimate money that is recovered in the case as our attorney's fee. So we don't send a monthly bill. We aren't, you know, charging expenses as we go. Um, but, and we don't charge for a consultation. That can vary depending on the type of case. That's limited, of course, to personal injury cases, which is what we do. But other lawyers may charge consultation fees for other types of cases and even for personal injury cases. It's just generally speaking, lawyers that help with personal injury cases aren't charging consultation fees. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. We'll continue the conversation. We'll be entering the final segment of our broadcast. So if you have a question dealing with personal injury uh, cases, uh, give us a shot. Talk or text 615-893-1450. Attorney Laura Baker is with us from the law offices of John Day. We'll be right back. Money issues? There's someone local you can talk to. Financial Coaching Radio with certified financial planner Jason Qualls. Weekdays at 4 on News Radio WGNS. If you're looking for that perfect wedding gift, baby gift, housewarming, or you want to decorate for the holidays, please come see us. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Relaford Farmers Co op. Please come and shop with us for all your farm and home needs. We have what you need for your home and your lawn, garden, farm. We also have a great selection of clothing and great gift ideas. Please come see us. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Relaford Farmers Co-op. We're located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. 
Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. A treasure uncovered at Haynes True Value Hardware. And we came across some pocket knives that were manufactured by WRK's Bear Cutlery, Buck Knives. Been back there for a little while. Is there a limit to the number we can buy? No, no limit. You can buy as many as you want. Rush to Haynes True Value Hardware. They're great Christmas presents, and we have 30% off on our entire inventory of pocket knives. Going fast. Haynes True Value Hardware, 1807 Memorial Boulevard. WGNS talks about all things local. It's Rutherford Issues with Brian Barrett. Weekday mornings at 10 on WGNS, AM, FM, and online. Welcome back. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. Just a few minutes left in our broadcast, so if there's something you need to know, let us know that question. 615-893-1450. Local attorney Laura Baker is with us from the law offices of John Day. We're talking about personal injury settlements. How are they calculated? Evidence we're hearing is how they're calculated. And uh, you need to get as much of it, I guess, as possible. You never have too much evidence, I wouldn't <laughs> think, do you? Uh, with the, the dawn of social media and <laughs> texting and all of that, sometimes it feels like a lot. <laughs> but you can discard what you no, don't need. It's, right. it's better to get rid of stuff than to Absolutely. say, I wish I had that. <laughs> 100%. So, uh, and are you ever surprised at the amount of evidence people... Uh, do some people seem to collect more evidence than others? Some people are more natural record keepers. Um, you know, some people keep every bill that comes in the mail. Other people set up, you know, online bill pay. And so they don't have a copy of every water bill they've ever gotten. Not that a water bill is usually evidence. But, um, you know, some people have more than others. Um, take more photographs um, or recorded more details. Um but, you know, I guess the, the, it's not surprising, but where I see a lot of evidence is in people's text messages and online communications that people really don't realize that they're creating evidence. And I guess if I had to say I was surprised about anything, um, or not surprised, but what surprises most people is they don't think oh, my text messages could be evidence. Oh, my social media posts could be evidence. Oh, you know, my Facebook Messenger. Right. People don't think about the communications that they have later being considered evidence in the case. So Now, how important is it? Because there's a fine line between running around once you're involved in an accident with a vehicle or if there's an accident, you've slipped and fallen. there's a fine line between when do you react when do you start taking pictures or when do you be sure everybody around you is okay first well i think making sure everyone's okay first is the right thing to do because you know for your own health and safety and other people's health and safety obviously making sure that it's a safe situation and emergency responders are there um 
I've seen many cases where people call a friend or a family member immediately after the wreck. That's human nature. That friend or family member could be the one who takes photographs or takes down people's names and numbers. The police are going to do that, too. Um, and not every case has police photographs, but oftentimes they do take a few photographs at the scene. So they've collected that evidence. The police report often lists one or two or three witnesses um, to a collision. If anyone stops and takes the time to assist on the scene, the police often collect that. The 911 call, um, they record, not only record the call, but they record information about the caller, including their telephone number. So that's another way to identify a witness. So is it the injured person's responsibility um, at the scene to start collecting evidence? No, you got to take care of your injuries. You've got to get medical care. If you've got a family member who's there and they think to snap photographs and and start taking down names and numbers, that's wonderful, but also everyone's safety and health is most important. We have a question from a listener who says, I was recently involved in an auto accident. Uh, Thank goodness there were no injuries, but there was plenty of damage to my car. Uh, And I'm concerned that the police did not issue any violation uh, to the person who caused the accident. Uh, That's made it more difficult, it seems, to uh, get a settlement in the case. Should I have encouraged the officer to uh, file a violation? That's a great question um, because a lot of people do think that um, in order for one party or the other to be held responsible for a wreck, the police have to issue a citation. And that is actually not the case. Lots of times wrecks are caused by a party and they can be held responsible regardless of whether the police gave them any kind of citation. Um, the, The case for property damage or injuries is more of a question of who caused the wreck than who got some legal or criminal citation for the wreck. Those citations can be helpful, like the caller um, has mentioned in um, an insurance company accepting that it was their insured who caused the damage, but it's not required in order to, um, to prove the other person's responsibility. We have another question, and this one says, this was the first time I've ever heard this happening, but uh, I was involved in a wreck out of town, and interestingly enough, the same insurance company uh, was involved with mine and the other person. I always felt like uh, they weren't trying quite as hard because they were fighting against themselves. What do you do in a case like that? So it can be a good thing for it to be the same insurance on both sides or a bad thing. Um, But really, the insurance company is supposed to be treating both insureds in their best interest. And I think one common misconception out there that people have is that their insurance company is going to fight for them at all when it comes to an injury claim. The insurance company, your auto insurance company in a wreck is not your advocate for money for your injuries. They are not an advocate for money from the other insurance company for your property damage. If your insurance company pays out on your property damage, they're going to be their own advocate to get it back from the 
at fault parties insurance, but their job is not to go out and collect money for your losses. Um, so that's, I think that when you have a situation where you think that your insurance company is not out there trying to get you more money, you're probably right. They're not. That's why you should look at hiring legal representation for those claims. We thank you for joining us today, local attorney Laura Baker from the law firm of John Day has been our guest. We've been talking about personal injury settlements. Laura, thanks for joining us. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, have a super rest of the day.